0: morning, Mission Hill Church family. How's everyone doing? You guys look really ugly, most of you this morning, in your sweaters. It's wonderful to see you. Uh, this morning, before Kyle comes and preaches, we have the awesome privilege of sending out the Rice family to Cambodia. So I want to invite them to come up here. Um, these Sundays are always bittersweet as we send people we love and champion and are excited for what God's going to do in their hearts. I'll just give Darren a second to kind of share what's been going on.
1: I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all for just coming alongside of us and praying for us and, and giving. We feel like, you know, we're going, but we're not going alone. And uh, I was trying to explain to Johan the significance of a morning like this where we get sent out. And so I took a, a broom kind of pole and put a tennis ball on the end of it. And I said, this is like a spear, Johan. I said, you know, this end, is that's like us because we're going to be physically present there. Uh, but the power comes from the, the giving and the prayers and the encouragement of the saints in God's hand. That's what provides uh, the power. And we believe that, you know, in going, God is going to use our words to set people free. And, uh, but significant part of that is all of you who have been so gracious and coming alongside of us. And uh, we, we only wish that we had more time to get to know so many of you. And so thank you for supporting us and, and being a part of our team. Grace, did you want to share?
2: Oh, I, oh, yes. Oh, oh, thank you so much for your love. And it's been a blessing to be part of this church and to get to know you. And uh, like Darren said, I wish we had more time to get to know each one of you. But I guess we have more time. And please visit us in Cambodia. And we'll make a room ready for you, bathroom ready. So please come visit us, and please keep praying for us. We are, um, yeah, we're uh, human beings. so We're weak, and sometimes we feel like we fail, and so keep uh, praying for us, and we'll see you sometime. Thank you so
1: much for your love. Thank you.
0: All right, yeah, I, it's a privilege to send uh, Darren and Grace. Grace and I, actually, my wife Grace and I got to uh, served with them in Taiwan before we were here, and so we actually got to know them as singles, and then we got to encourage them to get married, and I'm so happy we did. Um, <clears throat> so it, uh, I, can, I, I can just encourage you all that these are people that serve have already served faithfully as missionaries, and as I've been back in, in the States and serving here at our local church and just in the community, they are just faithful people that I know God is going to use for his kingdom in a mighty way. So it hurts my heart to send them, which is always a good thing, Um, but I joyfully release them, and we want to commission them as a church family. As they travel, they need to stay uh, COVID-free because of uh, quarantines and all that kind of stuff, so I'm just going to ask that we all stand together as a church as as we pray for them. Um, After the second service today, we will have a meal for them over in, in, in the gym, in the fellowship hall, so if you would like to Uh, you know, talk to them, hear more about what they're doing. I encourage you go over there. At least we can all eat together and and, uh, continue to get to hear about what God's doing. But would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, just for bringing the Rices here to to our church, God. And I thank you for how they've served so faithfully over the last few years. And um, even in the midst of COVID, God, just how they're relational with people and love people so well. I thank you for the special calling that you've put on their hearts, Lord. I remember uh, just hearing their heart for missions as they were singles, Lord, and then bringing them together um, just with a continued call for missions. I thank you for their faithfulness as we're going to, as Kyle preaches this morning, he's going to talk about faith. And I thank you that um, you've given them faith to walk in obedience to your calling on their life, Lord. So I pray just as they go that you'd go before them, that you'd bless them, uh, Lord, in, in their faithfulness. I pray for health. Uh, for them as they go, protect them from COVID in the midst of their travel and international travel, give them a grace for quarantine when they get there, Lord. Um, We thank you that we already have Haiti who's been on the ground there for several years serving in Cambodia. God, we thank you that uh, Cambodia is a place that we partner with and we send teams. And even though we haven't been able to because of COVID, God, we look forward to sending um, teams from our church to them to partner with them and to do um, the work of the kingdom of God uh, in Cambodia. We thank you for what you're doing there. We're excited to see what you're going to do in them and through them and how um, you're going to use their kids, God, to transform young Cambodian kids' hearts and how you're going to use them to transform uh, people's lives and share the gospel with people and see hearts change, God. So we pray that they would see the fruit of their ministry. We would be encouraged as the church by the fruit of their ministry, and we would recognize that we get to partner with them as they do that, God. So wholeheartedly as a church, even though it hurts us, God, we send them, we commission them. We ask that you would bless them so that they would be a blessing to the nation of Cambodia. Go before them, Jesus. We send them and commission them as a church family. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Just remember, yeah, after, after service today, I'd encourage you to go have a meal with, with us together and hear more about what they're doing in Cambodia. This time I invite Kyle to come and bring the word. <laughs>
2: Well, good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? It's really weird to stand up here and try and see if your mic's on, so I'm just trusting that it is. So, ugly Christmas sweater. You guys really brought it. That's awesome. I mean, Chase is obviously the most horrific. That is awful. Didn't he preach in that last year too? Man, it was terrible. So, well, well done all. Bring in your, your ugly Love it. Hopefully mine's not going to be too distracting this morning. It actually came with a bell, like a serious cowbell on this thing that I thought would be a good idea to cut off, so I did, obviously, because walking around jingling, jangling while I'm up here, terribly distracting, so cut that off. You're welcome. So as you said, I'm Kyle. I'm a church planning resident and an elder here, and I'm really excited today because we're going to continue through our Advent series today. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, so if you want to go ahead and start turning in your Bibles there. A couple of weeks ago, Joel introduced us into this Advent season, and for me, the first time really that I remember hearing the definition of what Advent really was, and Advent is the, this big, uh, this coming of this person, this significant individual, or this event, and for us, this Advent season, we're celebrating the coming of our Messiah 2,000 years ago. Jesus came, he was born, and that gr- the great redemption arc of all of creation was laid on his shoulders, and uh, we don't just celebrate this time of year because a baby showed up. That happens a lot and is happening more and more often in this church. It's really encouraging. We don't just celebrate because a baby showed up. We celebrate because of what that baby would grow up to do to fulfill the prophets and ultimately provide the final sacrifice necessary for salvation and redemption for those of us who follow after him. Joel kicked off our Advent series with a sermon on hope. He, ch- he was uh, challenging us to... Oh, we're cutting in and out. See, I can hear if I'm... Yeah, perfect. He challenged us to hope in our real source, the real source of our hope, which is Jesus Christ. He, uh, Christ is really the only one who can fulfill our deepest desire for good to triumph and for death to be conquered. Only Jesus can do that. The following week, Joel preached on joy and how we have so much to be joyful in, in this season and in general, just so much to be joyful in in creation. He challenged us to believe that God was big enough to deal with all of our junk in our hearts and be able to dump that all out before God. And, and as he replaces those the junk and the our attempts to find joy he replaces it with joy in him. This week he said we're going to be diving into faith and biblical faith. And what we're going to look at is how faith is based on reason and how it's always followed by obedient action. We're also going to look very briefly at some, you know, something that faith takes. We're going to try to define that well. So hopefully you've had time to turn babies Hopefully you've had time to turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you are able, I ask that you would stand and read with me. We're going to be in Matthew 1. We're going to be starting in verse 18, and we're going to continue all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thank you. You guys can be seated. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to just continue on in our Advent series, and as we get a good look at at faith this morning, I ask that you would just use this uh, to build up the church, to challenge us um, as we walk away, and as we we go further and further into the Christmas season, that we don't forget the reason for it, what the purpose of the Advent was for, and and where we're placing our faith. I ask you would bless this time, bless all All of those who hear me ask that you would just be with us this morning. In your son's name, amen. So I grew up in the Hagerstown area, which is about 30 minutes south of here. It's not terribly far, kind of the same geographical location, just it's Maryland. And one thing that I would hear often as I grew up in kind of this area, something that was said pretty often, was this area was fantastic because you got to experience all four seasons. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you have said that. Some of you have heard other people say that. You get to experience all four seasons, the extremes, hot summers, cold winters, and all the beautiful in between. I worked in construction for a couple of years. I worked outside building retaining walls. And so I got to experience firsthand working outside in 100-plus degree heat with humidity and just feeling like you were going to die, and that wasn't fun. And I've also experienced the other side of it where there were a couple of jobs where we were working and it was like negative 10 degrees, and we were huddled in front of the exhaust on our equipment trying to warm our fingers so we could just feel them again. So I've experienced both extremes in this area, and we get the beautiful flowers in spring and the the color-changing leaves in the fall. We get to experience all of it. And this saying, experiencing all four seasons, the person who said it most to me, or at least that I heard say it most, was my mother. My mom's from South Carolina. She was born, raised, and lived a portion of her adult life down there. She lived in Beaufort, so some of you know South Carolina, it's like the very bottom of the the point, it's basically Georgia, and it's coastal south. And so summers were hot. We would travel down there to visit my grandparents, you know, in the summer because we didn't didn't have school. It really sucked because you walk outside and you get hit with a wall of humidity, instant sweat. They had sand fleas, which are basically gnats but they bite. So like literally the worst place on earth to be in the summer at least seemed for me, and that's what she grew up knowing, and so when she came north, and and her family and everything got established here in this area, she loved the seasons, she loved all four seasons, because they don't get really good winters down there, and they, you know, it's very different climates, but one thing that, as it would start to get colder, much like it is now, and and the temperatures would start to drop, we'd get like 30s and 40 degrees, would start creeping into our forecasts. it became very obvious that what my mother meant to say is she really only loves three seasons. Her cold southern blood would start to, to show. And in our house, we had this coal stove in our living room. It heated our entire house, top, bottom. It, was, and it had a blower and a fan. And we would as soon as we light that up, standing right in front of that stove, that became the semi-permanent perch of my mother for like the next three months. If she wasn't busy doing something, that's where you'd find her. And God help you if you tried to come between her and her heat. I've been myself hip-checked from in front of the stove on numerous occasions because I thought I could stand. No, it wasn't happening. My dad can't even stand in front of the heat. That's my mom's spot. Everyone knows it. And as the winters would go on, even with the heat, my mom would start to, the winter would really start to weigh on her. After the holidays, you know, at least in December, you got Christmas and New Year's to look forward to. After New Year's, all you gets cold and and dead and ugh she would really start to weigh on my mom. And she would start to, she wouldn't really get irritable or sad, but she just made it very well known that she hated winter. I personally, I love the winter. It's one of my favorite seasons. I love the cold. I love the snow. All the bugs are dead, which is awesome, right? And honestly, it seems like a good trade to not have to deal with bugs and unbearable heat to, you know, the trade-off is we don't get to see green for a couple months. Big deal. For me, not a big deal. For my mom, a huge deal, right? Right? But so every year, right around the end of February, sometimes, mostly the very early of March, very beginning of March, there'd be a couple days where it would start to get warmer. You guys know this. It'd be like 45, then creep up to 50. If you're lucky, 60 degrees. And then if you're snow, the snow would all melt and it would start to be nice. And this was the time my mom loved this time. And every year, right around this time, the small migratory bird would start to show up everywhere. Not very big, dark colored, but the one identifying feature had this very bright, vibrant orange chest. You guys know what bird I'm talking about, right? The robin, right? It would show up, my mom would see it, and she'd point it out every time. There's a robin. There's a robin. See, and she would get so excited because for her, it was a sign. Winter is going to end. Now, granted, after this week of, if you were lucky, a week of nice weather, it would usually get cold again, maybe even snow. But at this time, when you'd start to see the robin, my mom's mood would shift And she, winter's got an end. It's not going to, I'm not going to be miserable forever. And another thing that came with this, which really got my brother and I excited, is when we'd start to see these robins, my mom would start to go into the attic and start unpacking all of our warmer weather clothes. So like shorts, short sleeves. At one point in our house, we had eight kids and two adults. So she'd have to start this process early. And so this is about the time she would go up and start to bring down our shorts, bring down our short sleeves, our flip-flops, all that. We weren't allowed to wear it, but my brother and I, being the crazy young guys that we were, we would try to sneak our shorts and short sleeves and wear them to school. And as I said, after that short brief time, it would get cold again. And I can tell you, there was more than one occasion where I remember standing at our bus stop in shorts and short sleeves, and it's flurrying outside. We were freezing, but we loved it. We had our sign... We knew that winter was going to end. Our mom showed us the robins. She brought the clothes down. There was all these signs for us. And our faith that winter was going to end would compel us to act and wear these shorts, compel my mom to unpack these things. And just for a brief moment, we would get to experience what we were hoping for, the spring that was coming. Granted, we were shivering, but we were happy because we knew that spring was coming. We knew that winter had an expiration date. So what is Faith. This faith that I'm talking about, believing in winter ending. How would we define faith? We say that the foundations of our Christian beliefs are propped up on faith. Like, how do we know that heaven actually exists? Has, any, has anyone here been there? No, we, ha- we take it on faith, right? How do we know that what the Bible says is true? We believe it on faith. So what does that actually mean? We say this all the time. We use this vernacular. But what are we actually saying when we use the word Faith. I know everybody loves in a sermon when somebody looks up definitions and they use Greek. I'm not using Greek, but I did do a definition. I looked up faith and it's defined as a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. So what does that mean? Let me try and rephrase it. It seems to me, to me, like it's this mental exercise or activity that we, we perform or we do so that we believe in something. It's this state of thought that isn't really based on empirical data or proof, but it's this, could be feelings, could be this decision that we make that, no, we're going to believe this. We don't have anything to point to, but this is what I believe. We, we muster up the faith. We truce, it's true because we choose to believe it. We use words like blind faith, you guys have heard this, or like a blind leap of faith. We use these kind of words all the time. And what's strange is there's no context at all anywhere else where having blind faith in something makes even a little bit of sense. You following me here? Makes no sense. If I told you that I believed and I had faith that I could fly, and I don't mean like in an airplane, but like I could flap my hands as fast as I could, I would gain altitude, I could soar through the clouds, I'd be free, I can do that, and I know I can because I have faith. Does that make sense? Do I have any reason? Is there any other human who's been able to do that? Do I have anything to base that faith on? No, absolutely not. If I got out this morning, we got a nice little big ladder and I climbed up onto the peak of the roof, all of you guys would come outside, because like, what's this crazy guy doing? And I'd stand up there and I shouted down to you guys, guys, I believe that I can fly. Would you guys see me as super spiritual? Would you see me as somebody that, as, as a beacon of faith? Or would you actually look at me like, look at this moron. You think I'm crazy, right? What if... I decided to act on my faith and I leapt off the building. Let's be honest, there are some pretty significant consequences that would come with that, right? Would you sit there and see me leap off this building and be like, oh my gosh, what a spiritual giant. I want my kids to imitate that. Would you think that? No, like the guy's a moron. Look at this. I, terrible consequences would come. I mean, it probably would go viral, because undoubtedly some of you would record it, but I definitely wouldn't fly at all. There's no way. No matter how much I believed, it doesn't matter. We are rational beings. We're created to reason and to think through things and rationalize. Why would a God, the God who created us, to be reasonable beings, expect us to hinge all of our understanding on the eternal and our salvation based on illogical beliefs? It doesn't make sense, and I don't think he does. It's not think he does, he definitely doesn't. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer defines faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It seems to me like biblical faith has something to point to as a reason for faith, not some mental choice, not a decision that I made based on feelings, but a decision based on evidence. Let's look at Joseph's faith for a second here in Matthew chapter 1. He's confronted with this impossible situation, this thing that should never be. This virgin fiance comes to him and says, Hey, I'm pregnant. Whoops. And it's the Holy Spirit. And logically, again, created for logic, Joseph knows, I mean, he's, he's aware of the hundreds of years of biology that tells him this is how someone gets pregnant. And I can tell you on that list of things, immaculate conception isn't one of them. This doesn't happen, right? So as a, a, a being of reason, he th- his woman's coming to him saying she's pregnant, and he has a decision to make. Again, a creature for reason, he was deciding to put her away quietly. He was going to divorce her and set it up as though she was unfaithful in her commitments. But yet, an angel appeared to him from God. Joseph was a Hebrew man. Joseph was aware of Yahweh's faithfulness to his forefathers. He knew how God had taken care of Abraham. Isaac, Moses, Jacob. He knew how he prepared the way for them. He'd done miracles for them, for King David. He was aware of the history and of the faithfulness of Yahweh. He knew that Yahweh was trustworthy, and he knew that he was promising a Messiah. It's all through the Old Testament scriptures where God is promising this man, the Son of Man, to come and to save mankind, this Messiah. He would provide this Messiah and this angel said, this angel said, this is how it's happening. This woman, your fiance, she's the intro into this massive redemption arc. And because of his faith in God and Yahweh's faithfulness, this messenger became for Joseph his Robin. It became his sign that what he was being told was true, that this was real, and that God was moving and acting in his lifetime. Just like my mom could reason that winter was going to soon be over because she had her robin, Joseph could reason that the one who was promising this, the one who told him of this situation was true. Joseph's faith, even though it probably didn't make sense to a lot of people, it was actually based on reason, and it was based on one who was trustworthy. Joseph had his robin. Another thing that we find throughout scriptures with faith, check out Hebrews chapter 11. They call it the hall of faith for a reason. One thing that we find is biblical faith is always always accompanied with action. When my mom would see the robin and she'd have faith that winter was ending, she would act and go and unpack our clothes. My brother and I, we would see our mom's faith. We would have faith in the robin. We would act and wear shorts in freezing cold temperatures. When Joseph got his message, when he got his robin, he acted on his faith. He obeyed the word of the Lord and he took Mary to be his wife. This came with a massive risk for Joseph, a massive risk. At the time. Adultery and premarital sex has a very different connotation now than it did then. In his culture, premarital sex and anything like that, adultery, was seen as essentially a death sentence. Maybe not physical death under the Roman Empire, but absolutely the death of relationship. Absolutely the death of their reputations. His reputation, Mary's reputation, their family's reputation. There are some that may have even looked at the situation in Joseph marrying Mary As an admission of maybe they slept together before they were married, and it implies guilt there. So, this this risk that Joseph was taking by marrying Mary, it's gonna be weird to say that every time, this choice that he made came with a massive risk. But Joseph had his robin, he had his sign. He knew from his God that this was true. And because of his faith, because of this miracle and this promise, it wasn't blind. But because of this promise, he acted. He married her. He took Mary as his wife. And when the Messiah was born, he was able to hold the Messiah. He was able to name the Messiah Jesus in obedience to Yahweh. And he is forever linked with the redemption story in scriptures because of his faith and because he acted. Simply put, biblical faith is action that begins with reasoning that the one calling you is trustworthy. I'll say that again because it's a little wordy. Biblical faith is action that begins with reasoning that the one calling you is trustworthy. Guys, our faith isn't blind faith. We have very good reason to believe in Jesus, to follow after Jesus. The one that we worship, the one that we spend this season celebrating his advent, his coming. We know that he lived 2,000 some years ago. We know this. We know that he was crucified on a Roman cross. We know that he rose again three days later, proving that he was who he said he was, proving that he was God in the flesh, the true human, proving he was the Messiah. His resurrection was even more proof of God's trustworthiness, fulfilling his promise in Genesis chapter 3 of the the man who would crush the head of the serpent and bring about redemption for all of humanity. This was a fulfillment of Yahweh's promise. We have faith in the resurrection as the foundation for our Christian beliefs. And this itself, the resurrection, is based on reason. Paul, the apostle, He wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that there were 500, over 500 people that witnessed Christ bodily after his resurrection, saw him physically after he died and rose again. At the time that he wrote this letter, many of those 500 were still alive. So the people that he wrote the letter to, they could have traveled, they could have met and heard the testimony of these individuals that, yes, I physically saw Jesus after the resurrection. We have generations of church history of men and women who gave their lives and their deaths because of Jesus' resurrection. Men and women who in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that the world was not worthy of them. The apostles, they saw Christ raised. Paul saw him physically on the road to Damascus. They saw him and they devoted their lives completely to their faith. We have proof that Jesus is who he says he is. We have proof that he is alive and God is true. This is why we celebrate this time of year. It's not just because a baby showed up, right? It's because of what that baby would grow to do, to become. It is his victory in the resurrection at Easter time that gives this season any value. You guys tracking with me here? It's the only reason this season even matters. So without the resurrection, there's no point to our faith. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. It's useless. Guys, our faith isn't in vain. That's what's so great about it. We have our robin. We have our sign in the resurrection of Christ. Guys, death, sin, struggle, grief, they don't get to have the final word. They don't. Christ rose from the grave. He has victory over death and sin. He has the eternal victory. Our faith isn't blind. You guys following me here? Now for some, this season isn't seen as a season of hope and joy. For some, this season is pretty heavy. We just came out of this lockdown from last year. I mean, all of you, I'm sure you remember it. Vivid memories. We've lost loved ones. We've lost relationship. We've lost security. Like our world has forever changed. And unfortunately, that means this time of year comes with a very heavy, heavy load. For some, this isn't just a seasonal thing either. As we're finding... Depression, anxiety, welling up in individuals, becoming, I don't want to say pandemic because that seems to have lost its meaning for that weight, but it's becoming a serious issue. And there are people that this has become a normal part of their lives. This is their new reality. Some of our brothers and sisters, some of our neighbors, they're in the deepest, darkest parts of winter in their lives. And it feels like winter is never going to end. We talk about hope and we talk about joy in the season. And for some, that seems like a distant thought, it seems like something they could never obtain. How on earth can joy and hope be something that we look to when we're in the deepest parts of winter and it only seems to get colder? Church family, we know that winter doesn't last forever, right? Just as my mom saw the robin and knew that her misery and the cold was going to end soon, we know that because of the resurrection of Christ, our hardship, struggle, depression, anxiety, it all has an expiration date. It's all going to end. The resurrection is our robin, the proof of Christ's victory. And no matter how dark, no matter how cold the winter gets, we know that spring is coming. Christ already has the victory. Amen? So this is what biblical faith is. This is what I mean about biblical faith. This is what we're believing in. Just like Joseph took action, he took risk, and obediently obeyed in his faith, and he took action, we too are called to live out our faith. James says that without works, faith is dead. I'm not saying that works is a replacement for faith, but yet works is more an expression of our faith. We will never get to experience God's faithfulness for ourselves unless we act in faith. We live it out. Think of it this way. Christmas morning, it's coming. Super excited, right? You come down, you've waited all year, you come down, the tree's there, it's lit up, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, all the Christmas presents are wrapped under the tree neatly and your whole family gathers around, maybe you read the Christmas story, share some memories and then now, it's time, the time everyone waited for, time to get the presents, time to see what, if you finally got that thing you were waiting for all year and just as you're ready to hand them out, your family goes, no, wait, 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 let's not do that, Let's, let's just look at them, let's just stare at them, they're so beautiful under there and let's just believe, let's just have faith that the gifts that you got me are amazing, that it's exactly what I wanted. Let's just have faith that this is what it is. And let's not actually open the presents because that, you know, that could ruin it. Does that make sense? <laughs> not at all. What about if you're around the dinner table, right? And you've worked, you slaved all day and you've got this massive spread, the turkey, the ham, whatever you guys eat and all the food, and it smells delicious. Your whole family's around. You say grace and you're ready to dig in. You pick up your fourth and say, whoa, your family says, wait, how about we just not this year? And let's just Let's just believe that it tastes delicious. Let's just have faith that all that work you put in it was absolutely worth it. And it's going to be so good and we would be so full. I'm even going to go pretend like I'm going to take a nap now. Let's just have faith that this is amazing. Does that make any sense? Seems ridiculous, right? Ruining Christmas. It'd be awful. But yet what we do is kind of similar to that, right? When we say we believe and we have faith in something... Do we actually mean it? Do we act on it and prove it? So like when we believe that God loves us and will provide for us, he'll take care of our needs as he promises to. Whatever we need to serve him, he will provide. Do we actually believe that? Are we giving sacrificially? This is a great season to do it. Are we giving, whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, whatever it is, are we giving of ourselves to those around us? Are we sacrificially giving or are we actually putting our faith in our jobs, in our salary, 401k, whatever we set up, this financial security to get us through and not truly believing that God can sustain us? You guys following me here? What's some other things that some other things that we say that we believe? Do we believe that that God really is big enough to handle all of this ugliness? I'm talking about the sweater. Do I do I really believe that God can handle my sin? Do I really believe, like Joel was preaching about last week, that I can dump all of the junk that's in my heart before his feet and trust that he will replace it with true joy? Or am I still clinging on to find joy on my own? Am I still fighting to hold on to what I think is going to bring me joy and ultimately just brings me sadness and emptiness? What about do we believe that God actually loves and cares for those around us and desires for them to hear about him? Do we actually believe this? Are we willing to live out in faith? It's a risk. It is a risk. We could be rejected. We could be laughed at. We could lose friendships. It's a risk. I'll give you that. But it's worth it. Do we live in faith and we tell our neighbors, our loved ones, our family, our neighbors, do we tell them, coworkers, do we tell them about Jesus? Are we willing to stand up and actually go to our neighbor's house, the sidewalk? Or are we willing to go all the way across the world and preach the gospel? I'm so excited, I'm so encouraged by Mission Hill and all the the missionaries that we partner with. There's a board right out there, you can go there and see all the pin points of all these missionaries that we have partnered with for the gospel. I mean, today alone, we're sending the Rices out and they're leaving in a couple weeks to go to Cambodia to live out their faith and love on people well. How encouraging it is to see faith in action. It's encouraging. Are we willing to go? Not all of us are called to go to Cambodia, but we are all called to go to our neighbors and our loved ones around us. We're called to do so. Are we willing to do so? God doesn't ask us to believe with blind faith. He offers us joy. He offers us hope and reason for our faith. We have our Robin. We have the resurrection of Christ. This gives our faith substance, evidence, and reason, and it should compel us to live lives of humble, obedient faith? How is God calling you to serve and to love? What are the robins that are in your life? What are the ways that you can identify that Yahweh, that God has been faithful to you, Christ has been faithful to you? And does not that compel you to share him, to love on others? This season, this Christmas season, we have a lot of opportunity to touch a lot of lives, our family members, those around us. Are we truly believing? Do we truly have faith and our Savior, and are we willing to give of ourselves and to tell others about him? We have a good reason. We have good faith. Good reason. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come up here and just you know, just talk for a bit and just go through, through faith, go through the scriptures. and Lord, I ask that in this season today, as, we're, as we go to, to the meal with the, the rices, that, we would, that you would just bless them, bless their ministry. Lord, we know that you love them and that this this time will be that their time sent would be beneficial and just bountiful for you. I ask that as we go, that we would be mindful of our calling, of the weight of our calling, of our faith, and that we would be encouraged to take that risk, to step out in faith and to tell others about you. Lord, help us not to forget or to miss the reason for this Advent season. Lord, we love you. We trust you in your son's name. Amen.